everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Crime and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name's Mike. Hi, Mike. Yo, babe. Well, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Had to get my uh, throat clear, get the burps out, the yawns out. Lots of things I had to do before this podcast started. I heard every single one of them. You are poor you, thing. Are you trying to make all of our listeners <laughs> puke right now? You said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through this podcast without throwing up. I really don't. I literally make my husband throw up. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're the good and the bad, right? And that's what they say, the, the better for worse. And that's definitely some of the worst. We're right in now. the worse. Yeah. And we're, we're in the thick of it yes. right now. So that's all right. But uh, how you doing? I'm doing all right. A little yeah. tired. Yeah. We're recording this um, early because it's Father's Day this weekend. It Happy sure, Father's Day sure to all you is. fodders out there. Yeah, I'm one of them. Uh, you are. You're a fodder. Yep. I put the uh, the old sperm on the egg. and uh, Yeah, you really worked hard for that job. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was some of the most enjoyable times of my life. <laughs> Two times in the life. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this weekend. Uh, Father's Day. Finally, for once, fathers get recognized. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Please. We, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we need more trumpets and more things because just fathers just don't get enough. When so. you wake up, I'm going to roll out the red carpet and I'm going to serve you a delicious <laughs> breakfast with uh, just silver top lid or whatever whatever the hell that dome is. I don't oh, know. Like the fancy folks. The fancy ones. You're going to be like my butler. Yes. Uh, will my butler do sexual favors? That's really the big <laughs> thing. No, I think your butler's going to hang up his hat on that one. Well, here's the thing. It is Father's Day, and um, it's one of the expectations <laughs> um, in our house. In our house. Yeah. Where did this come from Not, anyway? You know what? It sounds bad. Expectations because it's like I'm forcing you, but it's really, really more of an ask. A suggestion? Yeah. Yeah. Like a, like a, hey, what would you like for Father's Day? And you know exactly what I'm going to say. <laughs> You're like, I'm good. Just one thing. Yeah, that's just the one thing. That's all. And okay, we're good. maybe. Yeah, and uh, I hope none of our nieces or nephews are listening to this. I think the closest thing is some cousins. Yeah, you're and, real sick. And neighbors. So now that's know. embarrassing. Yeah. Well, hey. Um, nice to be Mike. Way to be awkward. Now make things uncomfortable for us as we pull out of the driveway. Well, if our neighbors see me smiling on Father's Day, you'll know why. <laughs> So that's okay. Not because I'm making you a nice meal and a nice breakfast. Those are both appreciated very much. Okay. It's extra icing on the cake. Yeah. Yeah. The service is really the where it's at, <laughs> I think. So, well, not to get too far. I'm in the that. service industry. Yeah. Just on Father's Day and my birthday. And I'm trying for Christmas, but that's, that's not really not working happen. out. Maybe a Halloween. You like Halloween a lot. I do like Halloween. So it's one of those things like, hey, it's Halloween. Let's get festive. Well, we don't want me to not like Halloween, Mike. <laughs> Why would you not like it? What is the downside? They don't Call it a job for nothing, Mike. <laughs> That's why. Oh, boy. Well, this really went south fast. And we lost uh, seven, 17 listeners already. Sorry. Sorry. Hey, that's all right. That's all right. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this weekend. Um, I went out with some friends uh, this afternoon for a little, like, early dinner, late lunch kind of thing. And had a great time uh, catching up with them. Haven't done that in a long time. Um, months, I would say. It's so, nice to catch up with friends. Yeah, a couple of good guys, and we just kind of shot the shat, sh- shat the shoot, shoot the shat, shoot the shat. Yeah, and um, shot just the shat. Caught up with our families and everything, which is always good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you do anything fun? You got anything going on? Uh, no, my life is a friggin' bore. You've been very, very like just you know burning the candle at both ends. I'm trying. I'm you know trying. what? People listening to this, this chick. Uh, Allison over here. That's her name. Um, she is just researching all day long, every day. I posted a picture on Instagram, and that is literally how I see her almost every day. Well, you say all the time, but I do have a full-time job well, that's outside of the podcast. I assume for some reason that people know exactly what you do. But yeah, you have a full-time <laughs> job that you're at like 10 hours a day. 
and uh yeah between driving there and back and getting up super early and all that stuff and yeah i try i try my hardest you're a hell of a person well thank you it's sweet of you to recognize me yeah and uh, we appreciate everybody listening here. yeah thank you guys for being here um other than that, do you have anything else to say? Yeah, if uh, you could, if you're listening to this and you've enjoyed any of our podcasts, if you can give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would help us out a lot. A lot more people will listen to us. And if you can leave some words in there too, like, hey, these two are all right. Yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah, yeah that's very much appreciated. Yeah, so. we really would appreciate it. I know it's a pain in the butt, but it would really make us happy. Yeah. If would, you like us. Well, and we'll, you know, you'll be more likely to do more of these. And, you know, I mean, we're, we do them every week. Yeah. So, yeah. Very consistent. Yep, yep. We've been haven't missed one yet. Yep. It's been almost a year. It's coming up on a year. September, end of September will be a year. Wow. Yeah. How about that? Our potiversary. Potiversary. We'll be celebrating with everybody. Yeah. Um and other than that, you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter if um you, know, you want to interact with us. Um at uh, Crime and Coffee Two, the number two, Crime and Coffee Two on both Instagram and Twitter. And we've been getting into TikTok a little bit. Had a couple of videos out there, so don't listen to those if you want to listen to this whole podcast because it's basically a summation. Uh, you like how I use that big word there? That's a big one. A summation of each episode see, within like three minutes. So it would give you a spoiler. Yeah. If you want the quick and dirty, go ahead on TikTok. But if you want all the details, come on over here. Come on, on over here to our neck of the woods and the crime and coffee couple. Absolutely. And I am drinking a coffee here. I want to mention that. Like, we don't talk about it at all that we're called the crime and coffee couple. Mm-hmm. But every single episode, I promise that one of us is drinking a coffee. Yes, it's true. Especially if it's a morning one. Then guaranteed both of us. Right now, it's in the evening. I got myself a little mocktail here i got myself a decaf i got Lacroix, and then the san pellegrino it's like a blood orange soda i don't like to drink the whole can because it's like 130 calories which is ridiculous because i'll sit there and like drink champagne or something it's like i'm not even thinking about those calories but when it comes to something like this blood orange soda something I, natural like sugar stupid. and blood, blood orange anyway it's freaking delicious so i mix this blood orange san pellegrino with tangerine Lacroix. And it's a delish. You know, you mentioned that that would be one of your final drinks if you were put on death row. Yes, the San Pellegrino Blood Orange or whatever it's called. Yeah, and we talk about that a lot as a family. Like, what would we choose as a last beverage? And my son was like, Dad, would you choose a beer? And I'm like, no, probably like High C Ecto Cooler or Hawaiian Punch. I never drink either of those because I just, you know, pretty much giving up on life, high fructose corn syrup, all this stuff. But as far as taste is concerned, you like one. that, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So you'd pick the San Pellegrino? I would. Okay. Yeah. Even over wine, I think. Oh. I do love champagne too. You do. But yeah. Yeah. it gets me into trouble sometimes. Yeah, it does. So not um, good trouble either. And then for my Amazon addiction this week. Oh, yeah. Good. Um, It's a sunglass holder. Oh, oh my gosh. Yes. This is a good one. So, so uh, real quick, Allison buys something from Amazon usually once a week and something usually cheap. And we just like to go over them in case you'd like to check it out as well. Yeah. And if you're interested. Yeah, we're going to put it in the show notes. So go check it out. So it's a sunglass holder. It's like a tiered clear thing and it holds 10 pairs of sunglasses. It's kind of nice because if you like sunglasses and I don't wear expensive ones, I love the brand Sojo. They're on Amazon. Amazon. Okay. And they're all like 15 to $20 and they're super cute and they're polarized. Um, so I have, you know, a variety of those and I just have them all out so that I can, as I'm walking out the door, it's near the garage door, I can look and see what kind of mood am I in today? <laughs> and I'm really kind of cheap. 
And when I say kind of, I mean really cheap. And I saw that and I was like, you know what? This is actually a good idea. How much is it? Like 10 bucks, 12 bucks? Somewhere in that realm. I can't say for sure, but under 20. Okay. So it's it's nice because you can just take a look at your inventory and be like, all right, well, I'm wearing this today. I'm going to pick out these sunnies. Well, and then you also said, and maybe you might see 10 pairs of sunglasses and think, maybe I should stop. Maybe I have a problem. Yes. Once you start to say, I need another rack of sunglass holders, you should say, I don't need Ray-Bans because I don't have Ray-Bans. So stuff that in your pipe and smoke it, you Mm -hmm. son of a bitch. Maybe I will. Wow, that's a lot of anger. (laughs) Should be a good story today. It's going to be a good one. Yeah. So today is an interesting one. It's different than the ones I've ever done before. It's not one particular murder. Okay. So we will get right into it. Different people? I guess we'll find out. But So this is titled Murders of the Appalachian Trail. Oh, nice. I kind of want to hike the Appalachian Trail. Oh, my God. I would love to. But you need like a good five months or so yeah and it's quite a something yeah you know, an undertaking yes i don't mind that like if i had the time i know if i had the right gear i could do it yeah and it, you meet a lot of people you get a trail name and all that fun yes stuff. so i don't ever think that it would be an easy thing you're forsaking a lot a lot of comfort also i wouldn't want to get murdered yes and so. after you hear this i think it's just a given if i'm going on that trail i'm getting killed yeah there's a chance it's like i mean else. when in the grand scheme of things murder rates are are low right so um the biggest my problem would be i'm such a creature of comfort especially when i'm sleeping <laughs> That would be my problem. Yeah. If there was like a pop-up hotel at each place that we stopped, no. I'd be golden. Yeah, I don't think it's for you. I don't think it's your thing. <laughs> I mean, I'm interested in it. Like, I could go for a week without like showering. I could, you know, go wash myself in the stream and all that stuff. Yeah, I guess I could get by with washing myself in the stream. It's a matter of blisters, sleeping. Blisters. I like a comfortable sleeping space. There's bears everywhere. Yeah, I'd have to be equipped with like bear spray and stuff like that because yeah. I'd be convinced I'd be mauled by a bear or killed by a person. Yeah, so the Appalachian Trail. So when you think about hiking, camping, spending time outdoors, I think you think about um, clearing your head, de-stressing, that sort of thing. That's why a lot of people do that. Getting close to nature, hearing the birds. Have you ever heard of John Muir? Yes. M-U-I-R? Yes. Huh, yes. So he is also known as John of the Mountains and father of the national parks. He was an early advocate for the preservation of wilderness in the U.S. Huh. But I liked his quote. It says, the clearest way into the universe is through a forest wilderness. Oh, I couldn't agree more with that. That is just like, I love being in a forest, hearing the trees and the birds and the bugs and stuff. It's just, that's my my perfect spot. It puts things in perspective because mm-hmm. oftentimes I think we spiral in our minds with like the little things. I was telling you today, I'm like, I'm really anxious today. And you were asking me why. And I said, it's really not even anything. It's all the little things that make up my life that sometimes make it hard for me to catch my breath. Yeah. So I think, you know, when you're focusing on the task at hand, you're hiking, you're within, you know, nature, it puts things into better perspective and makes you realize that your little hangups aren't as big as you think they are. But that's just my opinion. No, I agree. So the Appalachian National Scenic Trail, or I will often call it in this the AT, is a 2,180-mile footpath along the ridge crests and across the major valleys of the Appalachian Mountains. It goes from Springer Mountain in Georgia to Mount Katahdin. Oh, I would have totally destroyed that word had I not looked up the pronunciation. You'd be like Katahdin. I would have said Katahdin. Okay. And then anyone up in the main area would be like, you friggin' idiots. So that's the, the major mountain range on the east coast of the U.S. here. It starts in uh, Georgia, ends in Maine yep. at Mount... 
Katahdin. Okay. So that's just the, its route. It cuts through 14 states. So that's quite the hike. 2,180 miles. It cuts through Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. Holy shit. You read all the states. That's really... Um, <laughs> that's dedication. Information I didn't need. Hey, but okay. if you were curious, it's there. <laughs> yes. The tallest peak along the trail is in North Carolina. It's Mount Mitchell, and it has an elevation of 6,684 feet. Oh. So there's a lot of climbing involved, too. It's definitely not just a, a walk in the park. Oh, it's not flat. Yeah, it's no. mountains. So the trail started in 1921. That's like when the idea was coming about. It was actually completed in 1937. Between two to three million people hike at least part of it each year. And about eight to 900 are through hikers who are those that are brave and ambitious and hike from start to finish. Mm-hmm. So um, the article from June of two. 2021 my apologies reports that since 1936 and i say 1936 but it wasn't yet complete at 1937 i think people started early so 21,553 people have completed a through hike and in 1990 1998 a book was published by bill bryson called a walk in the woods and it's about the at and that like extraordinarily increased the amount of through hikers. Hmm. So basically, after that book was published in the year 2000, there were more hike completions in a single year than the trail's first 40 years combined. Yeah, well, you advertise a little bit and people are going to come around. Exactly. So the oldest person to complete the trail was 83 and the youngest was age six. Oh, so a big range of people doing it. So it's typically a safe place to be. There have been less than a dozen cases of foul play since it opened, at least that have been reported because, you know, something might happen and somebody might not report it. More common causes of death on the AT are health related, such as a heart attack, falls, drownings, untreated tick-borne illnesses, hypothermia, light, lightning strikes. I think I read that the more common ones are lightning strikes and hypothermia. Mm, so okay. people just not being prepared because you're going from somewhere south to somewhere north. So yeah. you, you have to be prepared. Yeah, if it's cold and if a storm comes out of nowhere and it's like, oh man, we're high up on a mountain here. Exactly. So obviously the elevation you're not expecting, it's, it's a lot colder up there. Mm-hmm. Also falling trees have killed hikers. The AT Conservancy doesn't keep record of the annual deaths but it's guessed that it's about two to three fatalities per year on the trail um nine out of ten hikers start in georgia and go north rather than starting in maine and coming south and if you hike completely and then turn around and hike back completely it's called a yo-yo so that would be very um ambitious if you were hiking over four thousand miles sure yeah i mean it's not exactly mount everest with the uh strain but it's a no but still i mean four thousand four hundred miles is a shit ton yeah so because many areas of the AT are remote, it's certainly not immune from crime. Since 1974, there have been nine murders near or on the AT, two attempted murders, and some even involving serial killers. Um, there's also another disturbing story, and this is what got me thinking in this direction. I'm actually reading this book right now. It's called Trailed by Catherine Miles. It covers the murders that happen They don't know the exact date of the murders, but at the end of May of 1996, two women were murdered in the Shenandoah National Park in Virginia. So that book trailed covers those murders and those actually remained unsolved. But it got me thinking about the Appalachian Trail. Oh, smart. So this is just something all on your own, huh? Mm -hmm. All on my own. Cool. 
So I'm just going to go through. It's a bunch of stories of what has happened to certain people. So our, our first victim here, sadly, is Ronald S. Sanchez Jr. So somewhere in the Jefferson National Forest in Western Virginia on the evening of May 10th, 2019, four hikers were approached by 30-year-old James Lewis Jordan. For several weeks, Jordan had been hiking the AT with his dog, Felicia. When the four hikers first saw Jordan, he was playing his guitar and singing, which sounds lovely. However, he was acting very disturbed and unstable at the same time. Later in the evening, the group decided to set up camp a few miles from where they saw him. They were on a site in Wythe County, Virginia, near Mount Rogers National Recreation Area. Out of nowhere, suddenly Jordan appears, threatening the group, telling them that he's going to pour gasoline on their tents and burn them to death. Nice. And it sounds like a nice guy. Right. You're trying to have a peaceful evening. You're wrapping it up for the day, trying to get your camps together. And this psychopath stumbles upon your tents. I did hear you meet a lot of weirdos on the Appalachian. Yeah, I could see that because, you know, people are trying to clear their heads. So you might be mentally unstable, too. The hikers decided to relocate their tents to get away from him, and that's when Jordan pulled a knife. Two of them, of the four, ran north on the trail to escape him. They called 911 at 2.30 a.m. Eventually, Jordan gave up and returned to the campsite where 43-year-old Ronnie S. Sanchez Jr. of Oklahoma and his female friend had stayed. So he initially chased the two and then came back to the campsite. Sanchez had a they he had served a three three tours in Iraq and spent 16 years in the army. He greatly struggled from PTSD, but found peace and clarity on the trail. His trail name was Stronghold because it's very common if you're out there in the backcountry, you give yourself a name. You give yourself a name? I don't know. I'm not sure where it originates from. I was wondering maybe a combo of both. If somebody else gives it to you or not. And I know everybody gets a trail name. So yeah. that's maybe the thing I want the most is a trail name. Yeah. I'll call yours Big Bear because okay. you're nice and hairy. Yeah. Thank you. So Sanchez and Jordan began to argue and Sanchez tried to call 911, but Jordan began stabbi- stabbing him in the upper torso. That's a way to win an argument as sanchez fell to the ground bleeding the woman tried to escape she ran but jordan eventually caught up and began repeatedly stabbing her until she fell to the ground to play dead thankfully he left and she managed to find a couple of other campers who helped her hike the six miles to the trailhead that's the problem too because you can come into trouble and be in a very remote location that you don't have cell phone signal in there's nobody there so it's not like you're just getting in your car and going she had to hike six miles in order to get signal to call 911 yeah and six miles probably isn't even that bad compared to some other places on the trail yeah and she'd been stabbed on top of it So they called for help and she was treated at a nearby medical center. In the meantime, Jordan moved along the trail and came upon another pair of backpackers who were sleeping in their tent. He was screaming that he needed a flashlight, but thankfully they just like stayed quiet in their tents and he just left. So he didn't hurt them. So using pings from a nearby cell tower, authorities were able to locate the approximate location of Sanchez and began their four mile hike to the crime scene. At 6.14 a.m. the next morning, the team found Sanchez sadly dead from his injuries, and there was a dog sitting there at the site. Of course, Jordan had a dog, Felicia. Felicia. Yeah, can't forget that name. So the dog basically led him, led them all straight to Jordan. (laughs) He was still wearing bloody clothes, and he was arrested on the site, Um, you know, right there after. Mental illnesses and stuff? I would assume so. Yeah. 
Um, so I tried to get as much information as possible, but I'm talking about a group of people here and I had to keep it within. Oh no, I get it. Anything I ask, if you have the information, great. If not, don't worry. So the next victim is Scott Lilly. On Friday, August 12th, 2011, a group of hikers came upon a dead body lying in a shallow grave off a trail of Cow Camp Gap Shelter in George Washington Jefferson National Forest. Kind of like Boys Don't Cry. Or what? Not Boys Don't Cry. Um, Lost Boy. No. Is that, um, what's that movie with the kids that go find a dead body? Oh, that's, um, Stand By Me. Stand By Me. Yes. Sorry, not yes. Cry. It, it's, you know, I guess it's similar to that. Mm-hmm. He was laying in, you know, a shallow, dra- a shallow grave right off the trail. Can you imagine walking up and just seeing a, a no, dead body? Gosh, I it, can't. It would change the rest of your life. You'd never forget it. No. The body was identified by the FBI as Scott A. Lilly, age 30, of South Bend, Indiana. Ah, Notre Dame. Yep. He had likely died 12 days before he was found. Scott loved Civil War history, which brought him to Virginia. His trail name was Stonewall, and he started his hike on June 15, 2011, as a path to self-discovery and to visit the Civil War battlefields along the way. Oh, wow. So the last time he was heard from was July 31st after he had climbed the Priest, which is a 4,063-foot mountain in Nelson County, Virginia. He stayed at the Priest shelter about 0.6 miles east of the AT. From there, he probably wanted to camp at Cow Camp Gap Shelter, though never made it. On January 12th, it was determined that Scott's cause of death was asphyxiation by suffocation and obviously ruled a homicide. The um, purple backpack, the new trail shoes, a Nintendo game, and the AT handbook he was carrying were all taken from him. Oh, so how'd they, I guess, somebody knew that he had all those yes. things? Whoever was with him when he packed up or whatever, s- looked at his belongings that he had had, left, and th- those were the items that were missing. Hmm. And his murder remains unsolved to this day. Yeah, I mean, it could have happened at any time, you know, and uh, obviously, although people are coming across... <laughs> that trail so right but i'm the book i'm reading um like i said it takes place off the shenandoah shenandoah national park and it's a very difficult crime scene is the wilderness yeah because there's nature so if it rains your evidence is washed away um it's not very porous like rocks and things like that they're not very porous surfaces to really retain fingerprints and things like that so it's it's not like you can watch a video and see where somebody entered it's like they can have entered from any given place it's a very difficult place to solve a crime unless you see somebody and catch them red-handed yeah there's no cameras no there's no cameras it's like just like like walking upon a dead body anywhere in the middle of nowhere exactly so a lot of these that we're talking about it's they just so happen to be caught very soon afterwards oh because they knew about the decomposition and such right the ones that i'm talking about are mostly solved in the story it's because they're like running about like crazy people that they're caught whereas whoever did this to scott Lilly, you know he quietly did it and just kept on going and nobody saw him and could identify him and that's the crazy thing you could be walking along as a hiker and meet somebody cool and whatever and then they could just decide to choke you and overpower you and leave you for dead very scary and that's with this book that i'm reading people were hiking at the time these bodies were discovered and they were terrified and the rangers were being very tight-lipped about it and everybody's looking at each other like it could be you it could be you nobody's trusting each other even though they seem nice they said nobody was sleeping during that time wow i can't imagine i mean talk about sleep with two eyes open yeah with a knife in your pocket exactly so our next victims are jeffrey hood and molly larue 
26-year-old Jeffrey Hood was from Signal Mountain, Tennessee, and 25-year-old Molly LaRue was from Shaker Heights, Ohio, which is funny because I read a book about Shaker Heights, and I thought it was a fictional place, but it exists. Yeah, it sounds familiar. It's um, from whoever um, did the story with Reese Witherspoon. I can't think of the... I'm getting off on a tangent. I can't think of the author. Celeste... Something with an Asian last name. Collins? Oh, no. No, but anyway, that's where the book was, Shaker Heights. The two met in Kansas at a church-sponsored program for the vulnerable young people. When they were laid off, they decided, now's our opportunity. Let's set aside six months to hike the AT. So they started um, north. They started at Mount Katahdin. I'm still saying it right. Good job. Yes. In Maine on June 4th, 1990. Jeff's trail name was Clevis, and Molly's was Nalgene. On September 11th, 1990... Nalgene, or is it Nalgene, or whatever? uh, Good question. Because I think there's a forest. Oh, I was going to ask you. I'm like, I'm probably farking it up. Well, and she probably had that water bottle brand, Nalgene. I know there's a water bottle brand. Well, I'm screwing it up. No, no, maybe you aren't. Uh, N-A-L-G-E-N-E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, maybe Nalgene. My apologies. On September 11th, 1990, they hiked to Duncannon, Pennsylvania, and stayed at the Trailside Doyle Hotel right around the halfway point of their trip. They were treating themselves that night since most nights they were spent in their tent or at a communal shelter, but they decided, hey, let's get ourselves an actual bed. So on September 12th, the couple headed out and they made it as far as the Thelma Mark shelter near the top of Cove Mountain. The couple slept around 30 feet from the trail, surrounded by trees. In the early morning of September 13th, while the couple was asleep in their sleeping bags, they were ambushed. Jeff was shot three times in the head, back and abdomen. And absolutely no time to react or do anything because they're literally sleeping. Right. And the thing is, and this is very similar to the story that I'm reading, they're in a very camouflaged area. It's not like they're right on the trail. People who were searching for the bodies in the book I'm reading had a very hard time and walked by it tons of times because it was so camouflaged. So they believe in this case that I'm talking about in the book I'm reading that whoever killed them actually followed them and watched them set up uh camp and actually stayed waiting well probably easy to do if you recognize you know maybe you're wearing something bright orange or something you can stay you know thousands of feet away and still be able to see them right exactly so it's you know you're just so vulnerable in the forest because you're sleeping in a tent in the wide open and that's what happened to them they were you know asleep and all of a sudden they're being shot and you can't even have the moment to respond so he was shot at the distance of about four feet with a 22 caliber pistol Forensic evidence showed that Molly had been tied up with a rope that looped around her neck. She was raped and stabbed to death by slashing her neck. Oh, my God. Her throat and her back eight times with a three-fourth inch double-edged blade. Holy cow. Anytime, like, rape's involved, that's a crazy... I mean, any murder's crazy, but that's just somebody really out for... Sick. Yeah. They were found later the same day by two hikers that had been looking for shelter that evening. Molly was face down in a pool of blood with her hands tied behind her back, and Jeff was partially naked, holding his white t-shirt in his hand. The couple headed back to Duncannon, the closest town to report the murders. 
A man carrying two marble red gym bags had been seen in the area. He had been wearing jeans and work boots and just stood out on the trail like a sore thumb. He did not look like a hiker. Yeah, just looking for stuff. Like, what is this guy doing? Exactly. And there's a lot of places where you can just park at a trail and just start walking. Yeah, and like see the people that are doing the whole trail and be like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's one of those that are doing the whole trail. Or they meet up with these people when they get off the trail. And, you know, you chat and, oh, I'm headed this way. I'm headed that way. And this nutcase follows them. Yeah. You know? So people were noticing somebody that stood out. And on September 21st, the two hikers saw another hiker wearing Jeff's backpack and boots. He was reported and apprehended in West Virginia. Those same hikers? Uh, no, oh, two other hikers. Other okay. You get to know people on the trail. And yeah. oftentimes... It's almost like they're these fictional characters because they have um, books at these shelters where you get to sign your name and write funny things or whatever. So when you're following behind people, you're seeing their name over and over and over again. And you like almost picture what they're like in your head. And it almost encourages people to speed up so that they can meet up with these people. Mm -hmm. So you meet a lot of people and they were able to identify that this crazy person is wearing his his gear. Wow, just from that, that's crazy. Yep, so he was um, wearing Jeff's backpack and boots, and he was reported and apprehended in West Virginia. He was carrying the two murder weapons, the pistol and the knife. It was the weekend that Molly and Jeff were going to meet up with their families to celebrate it, making it to the halfway point. And during their phone calls, they had been hinting something and their family suspected that they were going to announce an engagement when they met up. So it's just so tragic. Yeah, it's sad. So the man detained by police identified himself as David Casey Horn, but this was a lie. He was actually Paul David Cruz. (laughs) He was an ex-Marine who had a warrant for arrest in Florida. He had been on Florida's most wanted list since 1986 for murdering a woman on July 3rd, 1986. He was charged for murder on July 7th of that year, but escaped. Wow. Yeah. So he was out on the loose and comes across two innocent hikers and kills them. Killed two more people. What a scumbag. So his DNA matched what was found on Molly's body. And during his trial, he blamed cocaine and alcohol for his behavior. A lot of people do cocaine and alcohol. And, and don't they don't murder people. people. And rape people. He was found guilty of two counts of first-degree murder and given two death sentences. Well, now he's going to stick in there, hopefully. So he, in 2006, he agreed to drop his appeals in exchange for a double-life sentence without the possibility of parole. So he's no longer on death row. He's just in jail for life. Quick side note here. Did you hear about the guy that's in jail for life that died and they brought him back to life? And now he's trying to argue that I already served a life sentence because I died. And you brought me back to life, so this is my new life. Wow, no. Yeah, kind of interesting. That is very interesting. Yeah, it was, came out recently, and I was like, well, no, I'm sure the judge is like, no, it's your same life. Nice yeah, try, asshole. It's, I mean, that's true, but that that is interesting. <laughs> it's funny that somebody who'd be on death row is like resuscitated. Yeah, it's like, yeah, uh, it's still a life. But, yeah, no, yeah. I get that. It's just ironic. All right. So our next victims are Laura, Susan Ramsey, and Robert Mountford. So 27-year-old Laura Susan, or Susu is what she went by, Ramsey, and 27-year-old Robert Mountford Jr. were hiking the AT in Virginia in 1981. 
They were social workers from Maine, and they were using the trip to raise money for a school for mentally challenged students, which was run by Rob's mother. Out there doing something good for people that are in need, and something terrible happens. Well, it's like a lot of people on the trail, either just trying to get to back to nature and just being healthy and just you know getting after finding yourself, just like a lot of them. But yep. yeah, these people are especially, sounds like uh, special. On May 19th, 1981, while staying at the Wapiti Shelter in Giles, Virginia, Rob was shot in the head with a 22 caliber pistol, and Laura was bludgeoned with a piece of iron and then stabbed repeatedly by a knife and a long nail. So you shoot the guy, but bludgeon the woman? Isn't that like, sick? It's got to be some both? sort of major anger towards females. Yeah, that's a lot of these things. After they were murdered, their bodies were placed back into their sleeping bags and they were buried. Fingerprints were found inside of one of Susu's paperback novels and were linked to Randall Lee Smith. Holy cow, inside of a novel. Yes, I mean, that is some detailed investigation. Very good job. I mean, combing through the evidence. When his home was searched, they found a note claiming that he had been abducted by two people who were planning to kill him. He was eventually found in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. He was charged with two counts of murder. The day before the trial, Smith accepted a plea bargain in which he would plead guilty to two counts of second-degree murder in exchange for 30 years in prison. But get this. He was released after 15 years. What the hell, man? 15 freaking years after killing somebody and bludgeoning the other person. Like, good behavior doesn't matter in that aspect. He was on mandatory parole for good behavior. Oh, my God. So, of course, Robin Susu's families were outraged. He returned home to live with his mom and wear an electronic monitoring device during his 10 years of supervision. Now... Please remember his name. This is Randall Lee Smith, and we will be talking about him again. Oh, fucking shit. Yeah. Pardon my French. So the prosecutor against Smith during the trial theorized that Smith interacted with Susu in a store along the trail. Because obviously these guys are getting off the trail. They're resupplying. You can only carry so much in those backpacks. Sure, yeah. You can't ex- have everything to start with and you know carry it all the way through at the end. So they believe their interaction started off the trail. Again, like I mentioned earlier, they were probably chatting, mentioned where they were going. They think that he attempted to flirt with Susu, but was interrupted by Rob. So he followed them back to their camp where he then murdered them. Smith tried to alter the logbooks that I had mentioned where you sign your names and stuff. He was trying to erase them to hide their murders, like basically erase that they were even out on the trail. Um, People had seen him with them along the trail, though. So he was directly linked. And obviously his fingerprints were in the book that Susu owned. I don't know what he was looking in there for. I don't know. Maybe just rummaging for anything. like cash. Exactly. So some of my stories that I have are shorter just because the information just wasn't there. That's okay. So Janice Balza um, had set out in April of 1975. She was 22 years old and she was a through hiker. She was from Madison, Wisconsin, and she was attacked with a hatchet at the Van Venter Shelter in Tennessee by 51-year-old Paul Bigley from Tucson, Arizona. He was a former mental patient. He confessed from a nearby house and surrendered to police. The murder weapon was recovered near the shelter, and his motive was that he wanted her backpack. <laughs> oh, my God. We'll take her backpack and Here's leave her alone. Here's my backpack. Yeah. Here gladly. you go. Hey, um, any murderers out there, if you're listening to this, if you just want something from the person, then go ahead and just take that from the person, and they would much rather live. And I can promise you they will hand it right on over. Yep. So next is Joel Polson. Joel was a 26-year-old um, 
person, his, his full name is Joel Eugene Polson. He met 17-year-old Margaret McFadden Harrett while Margaret was waitressing, waitressing at a popular restaurant called Capri's Italian. Joel told Margaret about the great adventure that he was planning to hike along the AT. He tried to convince Margaret to go with him, but she just laughed. She said, I just met you and I hate exercise. (laughs) (laughs) So he kept coming back to the restaurant. He was convincing. He was, um, what's the word I'm trying to? Persistent. Oh. Persistent. I'm sure he was charming too. And before long, Margaret agreed to join him. Wow. So Margaret knew her parents would not be down with us or like, wait, wait, you're Mar- you're hiking with who to where? So as any 17 year old who wants to really do something, she lied and she said she was going as one of a group of 15 college students that Joel was leading on the trip. But really, in actuality, it was just the two of them. Yeah. So he was introduced to her parents in mid-April of 1974. On May 9th, 1974, the two started their hikes at Springer Mountain in Georgia. They were very inexperienced. So inexperienced and weighed down by their overloaded external frame packs, the two struggled. After only a mile. Oh, man. (laughs) After only a mile, Margaret started to get a blister on her left heel. Jeez. So they stopped for lunch. After only covering six miles that day. And if you're really moving at a pace, I heard about 20 miles is average a day. Yeah, you got to (laughs) move. They made six. Jeez. That's not good. (laughs) They sounded funny. Um, so they stopped in late afternoon and they found the low gap shelter and decided, Hey, let's just stay for the night. She's probably like, I told you, I don't like exercise. <laughs> I'm not good at this stuff. <laughs> you wanted me here. So when they entered the shelter, there was another hiker in there already settled on the bare plank floor. They introduced themselves and found his name was Ralph. Ralph seemed harmless, but it looked like he really hadn't showered in quite a long time. And obviously, when you're along the trail, you you might not have access to a shower, but it looked like he really hadn't washed up or taken care of himself. It's like been a while, yeah. like more than it should have. Exactly. So they saw a small pile of his belongings beside him, including a blanket, a leather jacket, and a canvas bag. He's kind of like the other guy, stuck out like stuck out like a sore thumb. Didn't look like he belonged on the trail, like he was a hiker. He was wearing what whatever these are, I don't know, suede crepe sole desert boots. Hmm. Certainly not something you'd wear for extended hiking. That doesn't sound like it. So after a few minutes of chatting, Margaret went to wash up in the stream, and Joel followed, saying, "I really don't trust Ralph." So they started a fire and they began to cook their dinner. They offered Ralph some food. He declined. As they ate, Ralph left the shelter and headed into the trees and returned with wood for the fire. He did this two more times in the following hours. So Margaret and Joel were feeling uneasy. They were chatting about Ralph. They said, hey, let's head out first thing in the morning. Let's not even cook our breakfast here. We'll just hike and then we'll cook breakfast when we're we've put some distance between us. Uh, So they, they agreed. They went to sleep and the night passed uneventfully. So when they woke up, um, I'm sorry, I lost my place here. So when they woke up, um, Joel woke Margaret. He said, hey, let's get going. So Joel walked to the stream to wash up, and he started to come back towards the fire ring as Ralph was leaving the shelter. As Margaret's getting ready, she's um, tying up her boots. She heard a loud blast. She looks up, not knowing what the hell is this noise. She sees Joel has fallen down by the fire ring. Oh, no. The next thing she knows, Ralph was coming back to the shelter holding a revolver. He tied Margaret's hands behind her back with twine, ordered her to her feet, and guided her up a path into the woods. He stopped by a tree and told her to sit down and wrap her legs around the tree, where he then bound her feet together around the tree. He blindfolded her and walked away. 
After about 10 to 15 minutes, Ralph returned, took off her blindfold, untied her. It's it's very bizarre behavior that, that goes on and led Margaret back to the shelter. Joel was gone. So she's expecting to see him where he had fallen. His body was not there. So they get back and um, Ralph starts rummaging through Joel's pack and orders her to eat and drink. He asked if Joel had any money and Margaret responded, traveler's checks. He then took her back into the woods about 200 yards from the shelter. Again, forces her to the tree, binds her ankles around the tree trunk. He tied her hands behind her back. He covered her backpack with leaves, put his own rucksack behind her to serve as like a prop to hold her up. Mm -hmm. So it's like he's tying her to a tree after just murdering her boyfriend or friend and he's like keeping her comfort in mind by putting a backpack behind her to keep her propped up. I guess that's nice. It's the least he can do at this point. So he told her, I'm leaving you here, but I'm going to leave a note at the shelter so that people can find you. wonder why he chose him and not her. I don't know. So he filled Joel's pith helmet, which I looked up. It's, it's a helmet with water, but her hands were tied behind her back. So I don't know how he expected her to drink the water. He put it on her lap or something or between Maybe. her arms. And then he left her also a bag of granola. He balanced Joel's watch on a log so that Margaret could see what time it was. Weirdo. Like, what the hell do you need to know what time it is? It's like, you tied me to a tree. (laughs) And then he walked away. So he must have had a change of heart because 15 minutes later, Ralph returned. He said he was worried that Margaret wouldn't be found. He told her she could stay where she was or given he gave her the option, come hike with me <laughs> and um, we can find someone to help us on the highway. So she did decide to go hike with him because wow. she was afraid she would literally just starve to death tied to a tree yeah. that nobody would find her. So she went with him. So they went off onto the trail. Margaret was in the lead with her hands untied at this point because he doesn't want to alarm anybody if they do happen to pass somebody. So Ralph held his gun behind her and said that if if she signals to anyone they might pass that she needed help, he would kill them all. So as they were resting a short time later, they came across two men with chainsaws. One was a forester that she and Joel had met the day before. So she started to worry, this guy's going to see that I'm hiking with somebody else now. So the guy seemed to notice, but he was in a hurry and they moved along. But in the meantime, Ralph got directions of where the road was and they continued to hike. And um, they headed towards the Chattahoochee River So Ralph told Margaret that he had escaped from prison and was out of his element. He said he wanted to get back west, so that's why he stole Joel's gear. Again, Joel would have given you his gear. Gladly, yeah. They came to Rocky Knob Shelter and rested and then made an additional descent three more miles. And then he announces to Margaret, I'm not going to let you go as planned when we reach the road. Instead, we're going to hitch a ride to the nearest town and get a motel room, and then we'll leave in the morning. So within a few minutes of arriving to the road, they did get a woman to pull over. She took them to the Chattahoochee Motel. I w- like, are they going to have intercourse or anything? It would never mention that they did. Wow. Never. So Ralph registers them in the room as Mr. and Mrs. Joel Polson. They got food and beer from the restaurant next door, brought it back to the room, and he popped on an Elvis movie on the TV. He's like, let's have some beers and enjoy. And, you know, it's like, you're my hostage. Let's watch Elvis. He just wanted a friend. I guess so. Wow. So Ralph allowed Margaret to shower, and while she slept, he sat guard in a chair with his gun. So then... The um they to get by with what they're doing with the hotels and the food and whatnot, they were using the traveler's checks that Joel had in his backpack. 
So now, now he tells him, tells Margaret, I've changed my mind again. We're going to part ways after finding a bus station in Cleveland. So he, they eventually ended up at a Greyhound bus station in Cornelia, Georgia. Margaret brought a ticket for Columbia and Ralph bought a ticket to Atlanta. Here they actually did part ways. Hmm. So he did let her go. Jeez, I didn't expect that. So she arrived and of course she immediately went and notified police. On Saturday, May 11th, Joel was found with forest debris and his head was wrapped in a plastic bag tied with string. The autopsy showed that a 38 caliber bullet had entered Joel's skull just behind his left ear. Jeez. He didn't even know what hit him. Yeah, it's uh, the sound she heard. Yep, exactly. You know, coming back just to gather your things and go in this psychopath. So on May 16th, the Atlanta PD got a tip from a woman who met a man that was matching his description. Ralph wasn't home when the police arrived, but they just had a search warrant. They went in and then they basically waited. In the meantime, they found Joel's gear, his revolver with one empty cartridge. That's it. They waited for Ralph to arrive and he was quickly arrested. It was 31-year-old Ralph Howard Fox from Detroit. He had a history of violent crime in October of 1975, he pled guilty and was sentenced to life in the Georgia State Prison. He was released in 1991. Jesus, man, what the hell is wrong with people? I mean, I you get a murder. I mean, maybe I shouldn't a murder be close to a life sentence, you know? I mean, you would think. Uh, very close, at least. Like, just put you out there. Maybe if you do it when you're 20, like, get out when you're 70 or something like that, you know? Well, in 1992, he's released, or I'm sorry, 1991, he's released. In early 1992, Ralph did not show up to a meeting with his parole officer. He also did not show up to his job. On March 5th, 1992, the strangled nude body of 29-year-old Diane Good from Detroit was found in a muddy field. They could tell that a car had been on the scene and was having difficulty getting itself out. So they went to the tow truck companies to see who had registered. Whose name is there? Ralph Fox. Yeah. So he was arrested two days later. He was found guilty and died of lung cancer in July of 2003. Good riddance. So in the meantime, another woman had to die. That's insane, man. A lot of these stories are going to have sound like they're going to happen that way. Crazy. So to give an update, Margaret um, currently is married. She has two children, three stepchildren, two grandkids. Oh. Margaret shared her story. Finally, um, she decided to open up about what happened in 2015, 40 years after this happened. She said she is amazed by her own behavior. She always assumed that if she was ever faced with violence that she would scream and fight a person does not know how you're going to react in that critical moment until you're in it i had this calm adrenaline who knows what it was but it was calm i am not a passive person but i was passive then and it probably saved my life well like you've mentioned in other episodes that if a killer wants to move you from your current location then the odds of you living are not good so in that situation i think if she would have gotten you know, a little handsy with him, then he probably would have shot her. And you know, I think the difference with a story like this, though, is they're in the middle of the wilderness. Yeah. It's not like they could flee to a car and go. No, yeah. I mean, you're you're stuck there in the middle of nowhere. But she was inexperienced, too, and had no idea where to go. Well, the decision she made saved her life. Absolutely. Can you imagine being the police and getting that bizarre phone call from her? Being like, yeah, um, I just got back. <laughs> my, yeah, my friend was killed on the Appalachian Trail. They're like, okay, well, are you still there? Uh, no. Some no. guy killed him and then brought me here. Like, we went to a motel. We had dinner. We watched Elvis. We went to the bus station. I mean, it's just like crazy bizarre. I mean, there, there's that's really, really bizarre. Exactly. Uh. 
So this is the attempted murders of Scott Johnson and Sean Farmer. So a frail man with a white beard wearing camouflage and clothing, I'm sorry, camouflage clothing and expensive looking boots stumbled upon 33-year-old Sean Farmer and 38-year-old Scott Johnson's campsite around 5 p.m. on May 6, 2008. He had his hungry dog in tow. Sean and Scott had been lifelong friends from Bluefield, Virginia. Sean worked as a coal truck driver and Scott was a ceramic tile installer. And the two were, you know, out on a fishing trip, just enjoying themselves. So Scott was fishing earlier that day, around 1 p.m. He was fishing for trout and on Dismal Creek just below the AT. He had driven his Ford Ranger pickup truck nearly four miles to Trent's Grocery to grab some supplies. And along the way, he noticed a dog that just looked abandoned and hungry. So he pulled over. And behind the dog, he sees now all of a sudden this man carrying a fishing rod and a bag who's told Scott, I recently just found this dog. So like often with the other people, he's chatting with this guy. The stranger told Scott that he hadn't been lucky fishing that morning. And Scott, being a nice guy, reached back into his cooler and gave this man five of his own trout. Oh, that's pretty nice. So before driving away, Scott told the man, I'm camping just up the road at Lion's Den Campsites. So now his friend Sean arrived at the campground at 4 p.m. about an hour later. So while um, Sean was setting up his tent, Scott was cooking, and this man all of a sudden shows up at the campsite. <laughs> He's like, well, I didn't really mean you should come I know. Out. He's like, damn it. So he introduces himself as Ricky Williams of Newport. Ricky Williams, former NFL star. Mm, that I don't Probably know, Mike. Guy. I'm Probably thinking with him being frail with a beard and stuff like that, I don't think it's the NFL yeah, guy. different guy. So Ricky was, oh, this is interesting. Ricky talked about football. There you go. Like his days in the Dolphins. And music and said that he had a master's degree in engineering from Virginia Tech. He said he had been in the woods for two weeks hunting turkey with his uncle. So Scott and Sean were picking up some vibes that Ricky was lying. You know, he's not telling the truth. He's boasting. But they're just like, whatever. He's trying to impress us. Let the old man talk. So Scott and Sean each had a Bud Light. They didn't offer anything to Ricky. And when it started (laughs) to get dark, it's now like 830. They're like, why isn't this dude heading back to his campsite that he tells us is an hour away? It's dark. It's getting dark. So out of the blue, Ricky stands up and calls the dog saying that he has to go. Before anyone can react or realize what was happening, Ricky shot shot Sean. Shot Sean. That's a tongue tongue twister. Both are SHs. Shot Sean. Shot Sean. There you go. In the side of the face as he was sitting down. Scott hadn't seen what happened, but of course he heard the bang and looked up from his own seat and saw Ricky's arm stretch out towards Sean. So now Sean is standing up and touching his face like, what the hell just happened? (laughs) I just got shot in the face. And watched as Ricky now shot at Scott, who began to run into the trees. Suddenly, Ricky turned and shot a twenty-two caliber revolver revolver towards Sean and shot him in the chest. So now he's been shot somewhere and then shot in the chest. In the face and in the chest. Yep. So now twice from only a few feet away. Jeez. Sean seemed oblivious to the fact that he had just been shot twice and turned to run toward his Jeep Cherokee 20 feet away. Ricky came toward the Jeep, pointing his gun, but Sean was able to speed away without being shot again. As he hit the dirt road, Scott just emerges from the trees, thankfully, and he gets him and they get in the car. Four miles down the road, they came to a house and eventually an ambulance took them to the local medical center and they were airlifted to Roanoke Hospital. While all of this is going down, Ricky takes Scott's pickup truck. 
and he drives off, but a police officer was alerted to the fact that this was going on, sees the pickup truck speeding away and chases after him. And Ricky ends up like flipping the truck and getting into a major car accident where he now has a head injury. Good. So now he's taken and airlifted to the same hospital. Oh, my God. These two guys are at. I guess there's like a no way to tell that the murderer is coming into the same hospital. Yeah. So three days later on May 9th, he was released from the hospital and sent to jail. But the very next day he was found dead in his cell unresponsive. So I think it was side effects of this injury that he suffered. Internal bleeding. Mm -hmm. Maybe they didn't do a good MRI or something. Perhaps. So he was pronounced dead the next day. Wow. So the man that was calling himself Ricky Williams was actually found to be 54-year-old Randall Lee Smith. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) The same man who also killed the AT hikers we talked about today. Susu and Robert in 1981. So 27 years earlier, he had killed the two of them on the AT, comes back to kill these two guys. But luckily, they survived. I wonder what like it was about these guys that he was like, yeah, you know what? These are going to be the guys. That I don't know. Like, they were nice enough to give him trout. You know, maybe he wasn't offering him anything. Like, he's probably sitting there the whole time. Like, I'm going to kill these guys. Just when am I going to do just it? Just waiting for that's, his opportunity. And that's why it took him so long to leave. Because he was, he was building like, up his courage. Yeah. So he had been released from prison in 1996. Again, remember I said he served only 15 years. So his probation ended in 2006. This happened in 2008. So his attempted murders of Scott and Sean happened less than two miles from where he murdered Susu and Robert. What a complete nutbag. So Sean had suffered a bullet wound to the skull and chest, um, and then a bullet still remains in Scott's back. He had been shot in the neck as well, but miraculously, the two of them survived. Both survived. Yeah. You don't know if there's any details, like if they can't, you know, handicapped at all or anything. I don't think so. Nothing that it said that. How lucky. Getting shot twice. Twice. In the chest and skull. (laughs) And survived it and was able to like flee and And drive a car. Crazy. Uh, It must be pure adrenaline that kept him going. What a stud. Good job, Sean. So these are all just, you know, crazy, terrible stories. So I wanted to end on a on a positive note. Oh, good. So in the spring of 1955, this is such a cute story. Emma, who also went by Grandma Gatewood, who was 67 year old, 67 years old, left her home in Ohio and told her family, "I'm going to go for a walk." <laughs> she was the mother to 11 and the grandmother to 23. Wow, busy folks. <laughs> she flew to Georgia and proceeded to walk the AT in its entirety. What the hell? Apparently, she had been married to a very abusive man, so she just decided that this is what she wanted to do. Was she an experienced hiker, I would hope? (laughs) So she walked through hurricanes, and I'll get to that. She walked through hurricanes that dumped torrential rains. She ate wild huckleberries when she was out of food. She slept under leaves to keep warm. In late September, when she arrived at Mount Katahdin, Katahdin, told you I was going to screw it up one last time. Ah, you're so close. So close. So when she arrived at Mount Katahdin in Maine, she sang America the Beautiful to commemorate her trip. (laughs) When she was later asked why she attempted the hike to hike by herself, she said, because I wanted to. She wasn't an experienced hiker at all. 
and wore keds during her hike (laughs) (laughs) and only packed a shower curtain to serve as her shelter. Man, if I'm keds, I'm signing her up for like an advertising. I mean, that's pretty damn amazing that this 67 year old woman left and hiked over 2000 miles. What decade was this in? 90s? Uh, This was in 1955. 50s. Oh, okay. Yeah. If it happened now, they would definitely do it. Yeah. They should get her grandkids on or great grandchildren. Seriously, because that's freaking amazing. Be like, tell us a story. Be like, well, my grandma, she walked in all kids and you know <laughs> i'm gonna go out for a walk kids that's amazing and hike 2180 miles and probably not but any word on what her, her trail name was uh i know it did not say what her trail name was maybe grandma kids it maybe it was just grandma yeah rock and grandma that's awesome. badass grandma yep so yeah. all sad stories i'm glad there were some survival stories well, but i looked up the names because obviously i'm just addicted to how you get your trail name okay and they said uh, some people choose their own before they even start the trail, which I think is kind of faking it. Like, you can't come up with your own nickname. Right? Yeah, I guess. But they said most wait to be dubbed until they have started hiking. This gives them the chance to develop their hiking personality and allows others to get to know them first because the people around you are the ones who will find your name. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that'd be cool. Feel it out. See what you're looking like. I'd be the high maintenance. That'd be my... Uh... Maybe you'd be totally different on the trail, though. Possibly. I think it'd probably be good for me. See, that's the the difference is you're it's it's a nickname for who you are on the trail it's not a nickname for who you are at home it's who you are when you're there exactly so i i could be like hawk or something like that i'd be like whoa nobody would ever call me hawk at home you know like you said big bear that'd be me yeah it would be and I'm sure um but do you, do you think there's bugs out on the trail no no i'm sure they spray it really do you nice. think it's hot <laughs> no not hot or cold i heard it's a nice 70 degrees just the entire all time. the time it yeah. doesn't like rain nice overcast so that the sun's not in your eyes well they used to have a lot of lightning and rain but they got rid of that okay yeah so so as they, long as there's no bugs and it's yeah. just a nice peaceful temperature yeah. and and I have something really comfortable to sleep on. Oh, and toilets everywhere. Oh, thank God. <laughs> and nice showers with the body, like good body wash yeah, and lotions. Yeah, all kinds of scrubs. Like naturally made scrubs. Everybody <laughs> leaves them there and just like they make different scrubs and loofahs. You'd probably want, you'd be the one to smother me on the trail because I would like, I'm a complainer by nature. Yes, you are. I do complain. So you'd be like, shut up. I would say, she complaining. She complaining. You're always like, oh, it's so hot. I'm like, she complaining. <laughs> and you never complain. No, I don't. So I it only it makes myself. me look that much worse. Like I would have an open blister on my foot on the Appalachian Trail and you'd be like, oh, I think I cracked a nail and I'd take off my shoe and my whole sock would be filled with blood. And that would be the situation. Sometimes I think you do that purposely. I don't. So I don't even think about it. be m- this m- m- martyr? Macho? Martyr? My martyr. Martyr? Yeah, you do think that, and I promise you, I just don't. Because I'm like, why would you not tell me that your foot is bloody when I have a flipping Band-Aid in my purse? How am I? So, how are you supposed to stop a gushing huge wound? I would have prevented you from getting the blister by giving you a Band-Aid. I always think to myself, ah, it hurts, but what is anybody going to do about it? Give Nothing. you a Band-Aid. Whereas you're just like, oh, I'm thirsty. And you're like, oh, you could just go get water. You don't have to tell everybody. <laughs> I like to tell everybody. <laughs> and I still love you. Well, thank you. I love you too. That was uh, really interesting. Good job. Well, thank you. And then did you want to talk about our Patreons? Yes, absolutely. Our patrons? Yep. So, hey, if you want to become a Patreon and um, you know donate to the cause here. A patron. Well, help us out. Oh, patron. Help us out with all these different costs and things and you know, help us keep going here. Then we'd appreciate it. But here's our patrons. Uh, Colleen, Lily, Karen, Nadine, Allie, Susan. Michael, Kayla, uh, F, like Frank, and Kayla S, like Sam, and Leah. 
So thank you guys so much. They're for- awesome. And you guys are awesome too. All of you are awesome for being here. We appreciate you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. And please tell a friend and leave a review. And uh, yeah, maybe you know, go ahead and you know, tell more people. Whatever. Yeah. Spread the word. Yeah. And uh, we'll be back next time. We sure will. Hey, bye. Bye.